Hello and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast. I'm Mariette Ferreira. In today's episode, we're looking at performance marketing. Now, this covers quite a wide array of tools and tactics, and every company will have its own flavor, from SEO to PPC to paid social to affiliates. Some call it growth marketing, paid marketing, even, sadly, digital marketing. Now, we'll be talking to companies that have invested in performance marketing to hear what they've learned and the role that it plays in their business growth. We'll also look behind the scenes at LevenFS's own performance marketing to share some of our insights. But before we get into it, let's hear from our sponsor. Does your brand stand out in the crowded marketplace of fintech? As the world's leader in digital payments, partnering with Visa can help you to uncover what makes your brand exceptional. Whatever your payment plans, Visa is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk forward slash fintech. I'm really excited about this topic because there's so much happening in this space. So let me introduce you to our great guests. Now, first up, we have Christopher Peterson, Head of Marketing at Minna Technologies. How are you doing today, Christopher? I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy to be on the podcast. Fantastic. Um, Christopher, for those that don't know Minna, uh, could you give us a quick recap of what you guys do? Yeah, so the way I would explain Mina is that we're a fast-growing Swedish B2B um, bank tech scale-up. What we do is that we help retail banks to basically offer subscription management features in their online bank. So um, examples of banks we're doing this with today are Lloyds Bank and ING. Fantastic. Secondly, we have Bethany Wilson, Paid Media Director at FMBO. That's First National Bank of Omaha. Welcome to the show, Bethany. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great. And last, but by no means least, we have my colleague, Harry Eddowes, Performance Marketing Manager at 11FS. Welcome to your podcast debut, Harry. How are you feeling? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited for my debut. Uh, hopefully the first of many. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, great. Uh, so that's all of us. Let's dive in. Now, whenever I talk to brand or content marketers about performance marketing, they always seem to bring up the fact that it's dollar in, dollar out, tactical and often short-termist. Whereas there's definitely some truth to that. I'm interested to hear from those that get it right, uh, exactly how performance marketing should be used in growing businesses. Bethany, I'll come to you first. What role do you think performance marketing should play in a healthy marketing mix? Absolutely. Uh, definitely a crucial role in a healthy marketing mix. I think first and foremost, it's super important to understand establishing your brand. Obviously, that is outside of the performance marketing mix. But one of the key pieces that helps allow performance marketing to be so impactful and to really help drive the growth and the metrics that your finance team, your C-suite is mostly interested in, um, just from exactly to your point, the dollar in, dollar out perspective. Um, so knowing that, it's more so looking at it in the sense of how are you helping them, the customers solve their problems? How do you allow your performance marketing efforts to be a continuous effort in parallel to your brand marketing? We at FNBO kind of have a mix where we end up looking at it from a 60-40 split. Um, right now, 60% of our focus is based on advertising and brand and continuing to build that message. Um, we are not naive in the sense that a 
across our footprint, there is certain areas that do need a little bit more uh, play in the awareness perspective, rather than in an area like Omaha, for instance, where this brand is really well established. Performance marketing is really driven to help make those efforts and to help showcase the services and products that our customers can use. So that's where we have our focus across the board. Um, in addition to that, too, it's just making sure that, again, we kind of place performance marketing to help showcase the products that can help our consumers and how they can actually leverage our brand and our services, basically in order to help solve their financial needs. That makes a lot of sense. Christopher, how about you guys? Um, I'm interested in uh, Bethany's point around the 60-40. I don't know if you have those sorts of ratios, but I'd also like to hear what performance marketing actually means over at Mena. Right. Yeah. So for us being a uh... A B2B scale-up, We for us, it probably means a little bit different because we're such a small team compared to uh, your company, Bethany. But in its simplest form for us, I think performance marketing, I think it should, it should be used to distribute your best content towards your most important audiences. That's sort of a short definition. And if you look in our business, then being a B2B scale-up selling software to large, large banks, performance marketing is seen as... Uh, sort of the air support to our sales team because we have a direct sales strategy. We use performance marketing to scale content towards specific prospect throughout the sales pipeline. And um, yeah, the goal is really to drive meaningful engagement with the people we want to reach. So that that's our view of it. Regarding the split, we don't have a split because uh, we haven't come that far in our uh, scale-up journey. Yeah, no, that's great. I love the the air support to to sales, uh, and that's actually something that we talk about quite often. Is is the sort of how we can help drive that sales funnel, and how do we help keep that sort of marketing funnel, sales funnel? How do we keep that healthy, Harry? But if we think about performance marketing's biggest strength, i.e., being able to track and measure everything. It can always also be its its biggest weakness, right? Especially when businesses start trying to use it like a tap to sort of turn it off, turn it back on, and expecting it to work every time. How do you keep performance marketing strategic? Absolutely. It's a great question. And I think, you know, kind of echoing what Christopher said there, a lot of it is, you know, amplifying the great content that we already have, but then also kind of capturing the demand that's that's created in the upper funnel. I think that, you know, generally I think this was actually discussed on the previous podcast that you don't have to perfectly measure something to know that it it is working. So it's not for us something that, you know, if we can't track it, we don't do it. A lot of the activity that we do, this podcast, for example, is not really easy to track and to actually quantify what that does to our business. But what I would say is that's not, that, that isn't a good enough excuse to say we don't try and do any of it. We definitely try and, and we've came up with a few methods. And I think, when it, we particularly look at DR and lower funnel activity, um, we've kind of, I, I think a lot of it, you know, depends on obviously the product that you're trying to sell and how long really the sales cycle is in that. So if we were all working in an e-commerce company, it's relatively easy to attribution. We see how much we spent on X day and see how much money we made. When we are kind of talking about products that, you know, some of our sales cycles range from a month to a year, pretty much uh, with the, some of the bigger banks. If, a, you know, a deal closes in a year, um, from activity that we did now. We don't really want to give credit to the activity we did in a year. We want to give credit now. So what we've done is we've created uh, look back reporting windows. So what we'll do is we'll say, you know, for X product, it takes four months on average to, to kind of move through a sales process. And we'll look back at that previous four months to actually determine whether 
the the kind of activity that we've had had the kind of uh, bottom line impact that we wanted it to. You've touched on a lot there and attribution is um, obviously an important part of trying to show the return on on performance marketing. But Bethany, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, no, Harry, you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as what the focus is from DR, lower funnel tactic and growth. Just from our standpoint, too, I wanted to open the dialogue up a little bit where a lot of what we've seen as well from exactly your point of creating metrics that are going to allow you to test without necessarily having easily trackable metrics to report back on is the education piece and the education component with your financial team, with your leaders as well, in order to to help really drive some of those testing components. I think initially, Mariette, to your point, digital is sometimes used for performance marketing across the board. And many times digital is also synonymous to a lot of individuals that it should be quick, it should be easy. So you have individuals that might have hesitation that if you're not seeing success or some metric hit the exact parameter that you've set within, let's say, two weeks or a month, there's some inclination to turn off your performance marketing efforts rather than, let's say, keep it going longer term. So Harry, I like the point that you brought up as well in understanding your product and the cycles um, and really having kind of that keen collaboration and that be a piece that's educated across the broader team in order to gain that support. So it's not exactly to the point of turning on, turning off, but really allowing it to drive the growth um, and drive the testing that you're trying to get with the performance marketing strategy. Christopher, is this ever something that you come up against where performance becomes a tactical tool rather than allowing it some grace to refine, to keep running, to support your your upper funnel, especially because it's so measurable? Yeah. So um, if you look at Mina as an example here, uh, we're running at extremely high pace. So we're scaling both throughout Europe and to the US right now. So we've been managed to uh, get actually a company commitment to use performance marketing as a core part of our go-to-market strategy. So that means that the leadership buys into the return on investment that the marketing team presents, and we have an agreement on that. And that makes it, that positions it at a very, as a very strategic tool to use rather than some extra bonus you could use, if you could phrase it like that. Within the 11FS team, we talk a lot about the role of marketing being to connect customers' problems to 11FS solutions. And marketing in its various forms is largely about creating connection, right? But if your performance marketing is working and you're hitting your CPAs and your CACs and you're hitting your acquisition targets, how do you avoid that well running dry and leaving no one to connect with? Harry? I think it's probably going to be a common thread on on a lot of the conversations we have today. But to be honest, I think a lot of it's due to testing. So whilst obviously, if you are kind of you have a defined market and you are running activity successfully um, for a you know sustained period, you're going to reach a level of saturation at some point, and you, you're going to get kind of diminishing returns at that that stage as well. Um, so I think what's really key is to make sure that you're not really over reliant on one audience or one platform. Um, and constantly testing other kind of, you know, maybe it's audiences, maybe it's targeting parameters, maybe it's platforms, ad units, whatever it is, and um, constantly testing and kind of seeing what else is out there, really. Because when we think about it, we kind of look at B2B and a lot of people default to LinkedIn. But a lot of the people that we're t- trying to target, you know, spend a lot of time on Twitch or Reddit or Spotify or Facebook or Twitter. And so, it, you know, we, we are wanting to reach those people. And so I think it's kind of, you know, understanding where your audience is 
and then making sure that you're constantly kind of at least saving a little bit of budget for testing and seeing kind of what what's next really. Bethany, you mentioned your ratios, the 60-40 sort of brand performance. So within your 40% um, pot, what's your testing slice of that? Do you sort of deliberately put money aside for testing? Uh, we actually did. So the biggest component to it, and I think we'll probably touch on this here in a little bit, just because it's affecting the industry at a broader scope, is all the changes in the industry from a marketing perspective. Apple with its iOS 14 release, uh, GDPR, CCPA, all of those components come into play in where we actually pivot. So not only are you evaluating and looking at where your consumers are from a placement or let's say an ad format perspective, you're also needing to evaluate where the industry is leading and directing those things. I kind of usually take a step back as well after evaluating some of those critical pieces to really look at kind of a simplistic form, the indication on where those marketing efforts need to be. So real stories and TikTok, highly visual content. Um, as you're starting to lean in, Clubhouse new platform just came out. This is more so audio based. So trying to lean into those that are forward planning as well as addressing current consumer plans. That makes a lot of sense. But Christopher, in terms of, you mentioned earlier that you're using performance to get great content in front of the right people. And I think that that's a great way of summarizing it. I might be paraphrasing you, but does that mean that you are using performance heavily for acquisition or does it play a role in retention as well? Uh, so we do use it for both. So uh, when we say acquisition in our case, it's a 12 to 24 months uh, sales cycle. And then you have, of course, we want to upsell and, and uh, retain existing uh, customers. So, um, but I think uh, you, there's a lot of great comments being made here. And, uh, but it, it also differs a lot if it's a B2C and B2B context. So I could give you some insights into, from our perspective, because we, we work deal oriented. So as we in the marketing tr uh, team try to follow and support sales, you can see that prospects will uh, move from face to face as they uh, sort of um, progress in the sales uh, in the sales process. So there will be different needs, different points to be made throughout the sales process. So that's kind of how we leverage content and avoiding not running dry on the same content over and over again. That makes sense. Bethany, I've got a last question for you on this uh, topic. Just uh, performance marketing as an umbrella and you as paid media director, which channels or tools or what actually falls under your remit? Absolutely. So it's a mix of both traditional and digital. So it spans your broadcast, your terrestrial radio, all across to the digital components where you'd see CTV, display, paid social, paid search. Um, so it is kind of the full wheelhouse that allows you to really evaluate how both of those mixes work together in order to reach your right consumer where they're at in the point of the sales cycle, whether that be awareness driving or the consideration component. So using that as a segue into looking at that whole remit, I want to talk a little bit about how scalable all of those channels are and how scalable the, let, let's say, the digital parts of, of performance marketing is. Now, I was recently talking to an old colleague and a, a friend of mine who's in a senior performance role. And what he started seeing is, uh, this is in their, their sort of their search marketing or Google ads, they'd start to seeing a decline in their generic search terms for the category that they're in, even though that category is actually growing. But they'd also started seeing an increase in brand search terms in this category. Now, for me, that implies that there's a higher level of brand education in that category than ever before, I suppose. 
That means that people are starting to search for Robinhood or Monzo rather than trading platform or bank account. For me as a macro trend, I found that really interesting because one, that shows that financial product awareness and engagement is probably higher than it's ever been. And two, it shows that it's brands that are winning customers, not products or features or categories. How do you manage that from a performance marketing perspective, Harry? I think it's actually, 11FS is actually a really interesting uh, use case because we have a bulk of our kind of audience we would generally classify as fans and probably people that we can't actually, you know, directly sell a product to. So things like the podcast and all the video content that we have definitely does create an audience of people that probably don't actually know that much of what we do. So I think we have the opposite problem where we have a lot of kind of branded search you know, people's typing in 11FS, but a lot of people aren't typing in top consulting services and getting to us because they don't really know that we do it. So that's kind of our challenge is almost the reverse in, in a sense, um, is to make people kind of aware of the, the products and services we offer. And we've actually run quite a few campaigns recently on, uh, we just call them what we do, where it's literally just a showreel of showing everyone what we do, because like I say, a lot of people kind of are quite confused about what products and services we offer. They know the, you know, industry and um, research and, and kind of the podcasts and, the, and the, a lot of the upper funnel things we do, but they don't really know what it is that kind of makes us money and what we sell. So it's kind of a bit of a reverse issue for us, I think. Yeah, I suppose for us, that's a nice problem to have that we've, you know, we've gotten a, a consideration challenge rather than awareness challenge. But many brands, especially established brands, will try to leverage category awareness to sort of build their own brand awareness. And, you know, in terms of you know, traditional search, people will be relying, you know, bidding on, well, to use my examples earlier, trading account or bank account whilst trying to work on their brand awareness. But I just find this sort of, maybe maybe it's a use case of one or an example of one, but uh, I, if that's a bit of a macro trend, which I think it is, that you know it's brands that are driving um, performance or, or acquisition, yeah, then I, it kind of feels like that opens up all sorts of opportunities. So thoughts on this, Bethany? Absolutely. Um, yeah, completely. And to your point, as far as opening up all sorts of opportunities. So an example of one of the recent campaigns that we ended up doing, almost to complement what Christopher had mentioned for Mina, is getting the right content in front of the right audience. We did this with a really keen focus on helping educate the millennial audience and the Gen Z audience on personal finance and banking. We found that we were able to reach that audience really well, get the right content out in front of them. Um, so that kind of created the brand awareness play for who we are, what we were doing. And we actually complemented that effort with a paid push in order to expand the reach. And so we were able to expand that reach into unique users um, and grew subscribers to our YouTube pages and our Facebook pages in that effort to do so. So that hopefully helps kind of highlight another way or another switch in how some of those macro trends might be able to be utilized in order to scale that out in a little bit more of a unique way and in order to go deeper into the audience. Harry? That's really interesting, Bethany. You know, when you were mentioning um, the, the campaign that you've just run, are you kind of focusing more on like broader targeting or quite kind of advanced, unique targeting? It was a broader targeting effort. A lot of it was more so your high level topic categories such as budgeting or saving um, that were really driven by a key group of ours that really kind of highlighted the brand ambassador play and the brand ambassadorship of FNBO. Christopher, are you seeing any 
trends in performance marketing overall? That's a really good question. And I, I thought about that one. I'm not sure I'm the best transporter, to be honest, but what I do recognize is there's a lot of within, within the sort of the B2B banking world, quite narrow niche, you see a lot of, uh, especially scale-ups, uh, leveraging B2C tactics. So playing more, daring to be more personal, entertaining. I think certainly 11FS is one of those. I love following your channels. But I also see more companies such as Plio and other uh, companies. So that's certainly one trend. Uh, and I think what that sort of does is uh, at the end of the day, you're doing business with people. So uh, being personal, entertaining, I think it just uh, increases trust and liking if you do it uh, the right way. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for appealing to and engaging with humans um, rather than uh, the, the old school traditional B2B approach um, of, of selling to corporates. I, I think that loses humanity on, on both ends. Would you agree with that, Bethany, the sort of the B2C tactics? Because um, I know you guys are, I suppose, B2B and B2C. Um, you've got business products, Correct. yeah. Um, but, you know, traditionally, you know, brands would say, you know, we're B2B, so you, we don't really do Facebook or we don't really do, to Harry's example, Twitch or um, I almost said Tinder, <laughs> not that. <laughs> uh, are there any sort of, you know, as a B2B, do you think there's anything off the table? Oh, gosh, I was going to say, you guys kind of put the great format in place for this, um, especially I think it really highlighted with the pandemic, the shift of the focus of what B2B needs to be. Traditionally, it's been the relationship marketing plays, in-person events, sponsorships. That's really forced the B2B division to leverage a lot of the B2C components and be willing exactly to what we've been saying before to test and to learn into these opportunities. Really Really, there's kind of nothing off the table in that perspective, knowing that it's almost ground zero for many of the B2B divisions to test into the platforms that you had mentioned. Um, we're recently just doing some stuff from a LinkedIn perspective with our B2B plays in order to scale that effort out, um, just knowing that the trust is already there, um, that level of authenticity, and more so just, I would say, the established expertise um, in the LinkedIn platforms there. So you overcome some of those hurdles that typically you would find in a B2B relationship building setting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Harry, I'm going to ask you where you're putting your performance marketing dollars. I mean, I, I actually know the answer to that, <laughs> but if, if you want to share with the listeners, uh, where, where are we investing? Uh, wherever Mariette lets me, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, so uh, I'd say the, the bulk of our activity probably would still be uh, within LinkedIn, but we are kind of, at the minute, we are testing a lot of different platforms. So specifically uh, Reddit at the minute and um, Spotify we kind of always have always on for Facebook, for Google ads. And then, yeah, we, we kind of dip, dip in and out of Twitter. But I'd say generally, you know, that the bulk of our budget when it comes from a paid social perspective does go towards LinkedIn, primarily because of the, the targeting parameters on, on the platform. And um, we really can get quite deep into who we want to target within there, a lot deeper than, say, on Twitter, for example. But generally, you know, we kind of are... Um, going after very niche audiences. The, the, the thing with 11FS is that there's, you know, maybe 10 to 15 different audiences we want to target at any one time. And um, so each of them we use a different tactic for. And um, the broader audiences, say FinTech Insider podcast, which is, you know, generally if you're interested in FinTech or finance, it, it probably appeals. And um, we'll maybe use a broader platform like a Twitter or a Facebook. And then when we're trying to sell, you know, some 
very advanced banking software um, will potentially use LinkedIn to kind of avoid the media wastage and go after exactly who we want to be targeting and just be really, really targeted with it. Uh, Bethany, we tend to skew online and we tend to skew towards social, but you've got a, a wider sort of uh, remit there in terms of channels and tools. Um, where where are you investing? Absolutely. Um, traditional still a heavy part of our mix. I would say, gosh, 40% of our media spend is tied into traditional in order to help support digital out-of-home placements, print, uh, broadcast, just to keep that importance there, especially going back to some of the awareness building pieces. For the performance marketing side, um, there's so much opportunity from the digital perspective that we have, gosh, a whole host of different factors tied in. So Harry, you had mentioned that you guys are testing in Spotify. We're doing the same Spotify and iHeart. We're testing Nextdoor to reach some of those key personas that we're trying to reach for mortgage, for wealth, and more so those community-based networks that are hopefully going to really allow us to show up to the conversation with content, with material that's going to help for solutions. In addition to that too, building out our SEO and content efforts is a big part of helping produce our performance marketing strategies in order to scale those. Christopher, in terms of tools and channels, what's working for you guys? Any specific, you know, beyond social and even beyond sort of paid? I appreciate the performance covers, you know, affiliates and um, SEO, etc. So, so anything that's working particularly well for you? Yeah. So, I would say we spend ninety-five uh, percent of our budget on LinkedIn. So, we have this uh, delicate challenge to reach decision makers within retail banks, and it's quite hard to reach them on uh, TikTok or <laughs> YouTube. So, we we need to reach a group of maybe fifty people working in a company with two hundred thousand employees. So. Uh, that that speaks for LinkedIn. So what we do is that we build very narrow audiences, kind of to what you're addressing, Harry, very narrow audiences. We draw them into our world. And uh, despite what's going on with cookless tracking, we try to also run retargeting tactics to actually uh, then target them on other uh, uh, social channels. So we try to have this omni omni-channel approach where we show retargeting on YouTube, we show display ads, we show Twitter ads, but then we can be sure that it's only the relevant people within those audiences. And that makes our, uh, of course, leadership very happy because then we can report and return on investment on YouTube as well. Uh, so um, that's how we do it. Great. Thank you. We're just going to take a quick break here. We'll be back shortly. Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve, and Soldo, and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo. Now, in the second part of the show, I'd like us to imagine that we're starting from scratch. Um, if you're in a startup today, uh, would you do it the same? Would you do it differently? Harry, I'll come to you. How do startups get performance marketing right? And I'm thinking levels of investment, channels, skill sets. What would you do if you had to start all over again today? I think obviously it probably depends on the founding team, really. So if someone generally has the experience and skills in that area, then I think great, go for it and, you know, double down on it. I think if not, um, which is often the case, you know, it's quite specialized, really. 
that not that many people would have a vast amount of experience in it. And if it's something that you want to make a really big part of your business, I would suggest um, going agency first at that kind of level. Um, and that's not biased because I used to work for an agency. But I, I generally think that you can kind of acquire a lot of quite unique skills that way and have them at least kind of set things up, start things, start the ball rolling. Um, and then potentially you can, you know, bring it in house. And I've seen that trend quite a lot of, of, um, firms, you know, using an agency, getting everything running and then start to hire and start to kind of transition it across. Um, cause I think, you know, if, if it is a strategic, um, important investment, then the, you know, 10 or 20% that an agency might cost, you're probably going to make that back in efficiencies anyway. Um, it's probably going to work out cheaper if you, uh, you know, as opposed to someone that is running it without a lot of experience. So that, that's kind of what I, I would recommend. You know, if, if the skills aren't already within, kind of look externally and then slowly bring them in over, over time. So Harry's opened that can of worms. So, so let's stay there for a sec. Bethany, in-house or agency, any strong views either way? Absolutely. I would definitely say at least a good, oh, one, two headcount internally. Infrastructure is so critical. Um, we've seen the trend shifting where first party data is absolutely necessary. So laying your foundation to make sure that you have your infrastructure set from a tag management solution, your digital wireframe, just so that way that stays within your company, I think is crucial. And to complement what Harry was saying before, um, then from there, evaluate your bench strength and leverage an external agency or consultant to help fill where you truly do have some shortfall in order to help you address the most important work first. Afterward, you can start scaling and expanding, um, but that would be where, where I would say I would set my mix to be. Yeah, I find these things are often cyclical and obviously it depends on the size of the business. But to Harry's point, you know, to sort of get up and running quickly, you know, agency is great and, you know, you get scale very quickly. But I don't know, I, I, I've increasingly seen the value of, of just bringing that skill set in-house and this is not... Um, you know, I've, I've used great agencies and, you know, I've, I've worked with great people. So this is, and, you know, again, there's a, it serves a purpose, agency serves a purpose, but um, I, I just see a lot, especially for us, you know, size business like us, you know, where I've been before, you know, to have those skills and to have that sort of depth of knowledge in-house makes such a big difference with being able to optimize your, your performance marketing. But uh, Christopher, I, I'm not actually sure how, how, big you guys are at the minute so how many people you have do you have your team in-house do you use agencies yeah so uh, we're currently by the way i love this question it feels like it's designed for us being a scale-up and me doing performance marketing but so today we're 80 people five years ago we were five people when i began so i've really made this journey now trying to figure out agency not agency what marketeers to hire and whatnot so i can give you my sort of view on it from my experience but i do recognize this varies a lot in between industry and obviously if you have like a simpler product uh, it makes sense to uh, go a certain ways but for us being in b2b selling kind of a complex process throughout a long sales process it takes equally long time to explain to an agency what we do than it takes to explain to a client. So it's like it's just headache normally to use agencies. So we try to bring the competence in-house. We're following this T-shaped marketeer philosophy where we try to have, as we're a small company, and I think this is a good advice for anyone in a startup. So try to look for people with a broad base of uh, sort of basic skills and then deep in a few areas. And then you try to have an overlap or avoid overlapping skills. So you have the different depths in your team 
And um, I think you make it uh, easy for yourself. If you, if you pick one channel strategy, you do it right, then you don't need to have a big team. Uh, and I think uh, many people underestimate how much you can get from one channel rather than being everywhere. So I think that's a big trap being a small company trying to be everywhere. And Christopher, to your point too, I love what you said, um, because we approach it more so looking at it from a function based, we're building out team hiring talent rather than, let's say a tactical or a skills set based, that way it does allow for that scalability to be able to actually really move quickly and respond to where areas are needed. Have you seen um, with the growth that you've done, has there been measurements that you guys have set um, that allows you to bring on additional headcount internally? Yeah, it is. And I think it comes down to that um, doubling down into, uh, for instance, our go-to-market strategy with where we have a commitment from the leadership. And then it makes it easy to add pieces to the puzzle when you're scaling, but everyone can view what way you're scaling and you're not hiring for experiment's sake, you're hiring when the sort of the machine is working. Uh, so uh, my role at Mina is very much to find out a way to scale a machine that can run and then sort of take one step back and uh, let uh, a team run the process. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's everyone's dream, right? Is to find the process that works and then scale it. Uh, it's easier said than done. But yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like your approach makes sense. Uh, Christopher? Yeah. And I think a final point uh, which really worked for us is to optimize to be lean and agile to be able to move fast. Because if you're in a startup environment, like Mina did a few years ago, we actually pivoted. We, we started as a B2C app and now we're a B2B company. And that if you're uh, deep into with agencies and, and uh, strategies uh, like that, it may take longer time to make that turn. So before you have product market fit, I think you should have your team in-house. So I want to make that point. I'm going to move us on because there's, there was a great pieces of advice there, but um, I want to double down on any insights or learnings or tips, watch outs that you can share with performance marketers starting in or working in fintech or financial services. I'd love for them to take even more actionable insights away from, from this podcast. So um, Harry, any thoughts to add? Yeah, for sure. I think kind of building on what Bethany said earlier, um, it's all about what does this actually mean for the business. So, you know, I, I think a lot of marketers might fall into the trap of reporting on, you know, we had X view through rate, the click rate was this, you know, the CPM was this, but like the CEO or the finance team or whoever don't really care about that. They just want to know what did this actually do for the business. So I think always tying back everything, everything you do really to kind of the revenue or the ultimate North Star for the business is the most important. And I think even if it's something that seems not very quantifiable, so say you're running YouTube campaigns, instead of reporting on like view through rate or drop off rates or whatever, you could just say, okay, we serve this video to this amount of people. They watched it for this amount of time. And we believe that this will have this impact on the business. And I think that's, that's a lot more important and a lot more kind of tangible than just reporting on general marketing metrics. I think that would be my overall um, tip. Love that. Bethany? Absolutely. Um, be an excellent storyteller of your data. Uh, know your audience, who you're pitching to, who you're presenting the information to. That's going to vary across the organization. Us as a larger enterprise, we have a few different key audiences that will help support or expand marketing spend and budgets. In addition to that, what we've actually learned as well is the key importance of versioning your content and your media by platform. Um, we've seen some great efficiencies by taking that extra time in order to do it rather 
rather than um, maybe just applying a blanket statement across the board for the creative that you've done. In addition to that, um, analytics is always huge. So as a marketer, just making sure that you take the lead in the initiative in order to understand, especially in performance marketing, some of those key output pieces and really being clear on the measurement that you're trying to drive for. Um, so that way you can keep the North Star, as Harry had stated before, um, in the forefront for any of your efforts that you're trying to do for your organization. Bethany, you, you touched on uh, insights analytics and Harry, you talking about the ultimate insight that you want to deliver to the, the CEO, to the, to the board, etc. One piece of advice that I always try to give, whether it's insights managers or performance managers, anyone working with data, is just to sort of apply the so what test. So you've got a piece of data, you've got a a report before you share that, make sure that you can answer like, so what, what, you know, why am I sharing this? Why am I giving, you know, going to send this report? What makes this relevant? And if, if you can answer that question three times, it's like, so what? Yeah, but so what? <laughs> and again, so what? <laughs> as long as you have those answers, then I think that's how that helps you drill into the core insight rather than just sharing a CPM number, which means little to many people. Christopher, any thoughts from you? I think you're so right about that. I just need to say, I think I made that mistake trying to talk marketing metrics with the leadership and uh, it's, it's, it's not the best way to do it. So I think translating it into their worldview for the CFO, for the CEO, whatever they are interested in, I think that's super important. I want to make a point also. Um, so I'm going to share something that, that I've learned uh, in B2B and that is to the importance of doing your research on what the sales team are doing trying to understand the key values the, the prospects you're selling to are looking for and then try to leverage performance marketing to sort of hyper-targeting messages towards very, very narrow audiences. And then you can have multiple campaigns towards uh, different, in our sake, we're selling to banks. So we would target different departments, different job titles, different stakeholders. Uh, so that will give you a very high engagement number if you can be that specific. And I think that's totally possible using like LinkedIn. So I would recommend to play around with that to really bump up your numbers and then explain to the leadership what the value is. I love that. Um, we, we talked about the challenge of B2B, uh, the, the long attribution cycles of B2B at the start. So any sort of actionable advice and tips for marketers, I think, um, is gold dust. Any final thoughts from anyone before we wrap up? No, that's us then. Thank you all so much for joining me. I had a great conversation. I feel like there was lots for, for marketers to take away from here. Bethany, please tell everyone where can they find out more about you and about your company? Absolutely. We've talked about LinkedIn a lot here. You can find me, Bethany Wilson, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find my company, FNBO, um, at fnbo.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the social platforms. Great. Christopher? Yeah, on the same uh, page here. I think the best way to get the info about our company is to follow us on LinkedIn. There, there you will get the latest news. Uh, and uh, yeah, feel free to connect with me as well on LinkedIn. I'm Christopher Peterson. I love to connect with all fellow marketeers. So please connect. Fantastic. And Harry? Absolutely. Yeah, same here. So LinkedIn, uh, Harry Eddowes. I'm happy to connect with, with anyone that, that would like to chat. And also the product that I work on at 11FS is called 11FS Pulse. So you can find them on Twitter at, at 11fspulse or on LinkedIn as well. Um, a really, really strong product for anyone working in design, research, marketing, and fintech. Fantastic. 
And you can find me on LinkedIn or over on Twitter at Mariette F-E-R. And of course, all things 11FS at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Marketing Podcast or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye.